This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Wednesday, July 29th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. Federal police activity continued in Portland over the weekend, and the White House pledges to deploy federal police in other cities. It's worth drawing distinctions about what these police forces are being asked to do and what agencies they represent. Cato's Patrick Eddington and Walter Olson comment on the planned surges of federal cops in American cities. Pat, I want to start with you. Um, the federal presence in Portland uh, and elsewhere has continued uh, characterize for us the nature or and the nominal purpose of these uh, federal agents operating within these cities. I think it's important to recognize that in the wake of Mr. Floyd's murder in Minneapolis on May the 25th, we saw demonstrations break out not just in that city, but over the course of the next 10 days, we saw demonstrations break out in multiple cities across this country. And one of those, of course, is Portland, which has, in many respects, gotten a lot of the, uh, a lot of the ink and a lot of the electrons, if you will, in terms of coverage. But we now have some evidence, uh, courtesy of Ken Klippenstein at The Nation, that I think gives us a real window into just exactly uh, how far in advance they were probably planning these deployments. This comes in the form of a 19-page document uh, questions uh, that Kamala Harris, Senator Kamala Harris uh, of California, asked of Customs and Border Protection, and the responses of which were uh, obtained by the nation and uh, published uh, just this past Friday. And what we learn here, and this is from Appendix One of the document, uh, which is entitled Comprehensive Nationwide Civil Unrest Report, uh, May 31st, 2020. Again, that's only six days after Mr. Floyd's murder through June the 11th of 2020. And what, what they say here in, at the top of this document, the top four bullets, the very first one is CBP personnel deployed, 2,174 personnel deployed nationwide, uh, 38 uh, helicopters, eight fixed wing aircraft, four drones, uh, 50 marked vehicles, and 52 unmarked vehicles. Uh, in addition to two ATVs uh, and three vessels. And it's important to note that these deployments or requests for support were taking place not just in uh, Oregon, but in Michigan, Florida, Texas, Ohio, um, uh, multiple additional states, New Mexico, um, New York State, Louisiana. I mean, I, I could continue for several minutes, but I think you get the flavor. This, this is a, a massive deployment. This is just of CBP. And to kind of give folks a sense of scale, CBP at my last count had a little bit over 20,000 active agents. So you're talking about over 10% of CBP's uh, total manpower being deployed uh, for these protests. One of the other things that I found um, deeply troubling about this particular document is that with respect to the air support that was being provided, uh, this was referred to uh, as ISR. Uh, that is a military abbreviation for intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. And they were billing this under uh, for safety and awareness purposes. But anytime you see a, a military term like that in a domestic context, a, a, a military intelligence-related collection term and activity in a domestic context, that is, that is extremely alarming. 
And what I also found alarming uh, today was uh, something I saw on Twitter that seems to indicate that the president now plans to send, quote, reinforcements, end quote, to Portland. Now, I, I want to I'm just going to, you know, make one other comment that I want to make way for for Walter here to hear his thoughts. But I, I want to make it clear that I don't believe that it's remotely appropriate for demonstrators to be using incendiary devices uh, against federal buildings. It's not appropriate for them to be using cutting tools to try to take down barricades around federal buildings. It's not appropriate for them to be using lasers to try to blind uh, uh, either local or federal officers. Um, the Associated Press has got a, a lengthy story out about this, um, and, and I, I take their reporting at this point at face value. I don't believe that the vast majority of demonstrators are engaged in that kind of uh, activity, but anybody who is engaged in it needs to knock it off. They need to knock, they need to knock it off immediately. That is not appropriate. That is not a First Amendment protected activity. And above all, what it does is it undermines the legitimate peaceful protests that have been taking place across across all these cities. Uh, Walter, to you, uh, last week, the president held a press conference with uh, Attorney General Barr uh, discussing what they would be doing in some American cities. And if I uh, understood what they were saying, this was traditional law enforcement using federal agents focusing on crime and not clearly related to protests. Is that how you understood uh, the description of, the, of, of uh, their other deployment? That is how they described it. And there has been confusion, and I would say confusion fomented by both sides, as it were, of this debate sometimes about whether this is an extension of what we've seen in Portland, uh, whether it's Portland everywhere, as I call it, or whether it's a uh, separate program using different uh, legal bases, different personnel, different methods. And uh, for the moment, uh, here's why I would say it's a separate program that uh, uh, does different things. Uh, they roll, They say that it's rolling out a pilot program that was done in Kansas City. And in fact, the U.S. attorney for uh, the Kansas City area was there to talk about it. And he emphasized that... Uh, they weren't getting into street policing. Key difference with Portland, where a lot of the flashpoint of controversy has been, what are federal agents doing in street policing? He said, uh, to the extent that they will even show up at arrests, they will be highly identifiable for what they are. Again, another key objection that many of us raised to what was going on in Portland. But he said, mostly, they will be there to simply assist the local police in whichever community it is to solve crimes that they already wanted to solve. Now, uh, as a libertarian and as a believer in the, the federalist structure of the Constitution, I have a problem or two with the federal government taking local street crime as a responsibility. It's not one of its constitutional responsibilities. Nonetheless, that particular unconstitutional horse got out of the barn way before this administration, and uh, various uh, administrations have been doing th that general kind of thing for decades now. They have been doing surges where a city has had significant street crime. Uh, uh, that part of it, if objectionable, is at least not very new. Uh, now, 
One caution before I even go any further is with this administration, even more than most, although this is true of all of them, um, you have to look at what they do and not just what they say, because they can talk moderate and benign and then come out with something really wild, or they can do just the reverse, which they've been known to do too. So um, it is uh, there is some reassurance to, to be gleaned from um, the things they've said. One of the other key things they've said, uh, not so much a constitutional issue, but uh, politically important, is that in Chicago and Albuquerque, the first two cities in, that they are rolling out the Kansas City program to, and also I believe in Kansas City, uh, they are doing it by cooperation with the local governments. Um, they are sweetening that by throwing in millions of dollars of federal taxpayer money. Uh, nonetheless, they have that explicit cooperation. Again, uh, it makes it less likely that we will see some of the big obvious problems that you find uh, in Portland and other places where the political authorities are uh, directly at odds with it and have asked the, the federal agents not be sent. So uh, to both of you and Pat, I'll, I'll start with you. What? How do you evaluate the value delivered by uh, a federal presence in Portland? It seems pretty negative if you talk to uh, protesters, including the mayor, um, and uh, the the other cities. It's absolutely clear that the situation in Portland was the the protests, particularly, were largely on their way out uh, at least a couple of weeks before uh, federal agents were ordered into the area. And if you look at the reporting, and particularly the the very lengthy Associated Press piece that came out today. Uh, but also some pieces that were in the Hill today. It's really clear that the, the federal presence has had a galvanizing effect on the protest. The other thing that we're seeing is that a lot of the Black Lives Matter protesters, particularly protest leaders, have become uh, very discomfited over this shift in emphasis from the Portland police, essentially, and the problems with the Portland police, and now the issue uh, with the feds, and they seem to feel like this is you know, kind of taking attention away from the issue they were concerned about. I personally believe that that's a mistake on their part, because these federal agents are essentially reinforcing the local police. They are there not just to you know, provide the direct street assistance, but clearly in the case of CBP and probably other federal elements as well. Uh, there's intelligence and related support that is directly flowing to the Portland police that's actually assisting with the repression. So I, I hope they come to the understanding that this is a directly interrelated uh, problem in relationship here, and that until you find a way to largely break that relationship between the feds and the local police on this and, and get the feds out of there, that's the only way that I see that this, this process is going to de-escalate, at least in Portland. We'll have to see how the rest of this rolls out, of course, uh, across the country in the coming days and weeks. But the, the president's executive order, let's remember, uh, it's good for six months uh, unless he otherwise extends it. So th this is something that, in my judgment, is not going to go away. And I do think, uh, I agree with Walter, um, uh, you know, the president is trying to uh, distract here once again. And, uh, and, and I think people need to keep their eye on the ball here and, and focus on first off getting the feds out uh, and then dealing with these local uh, and state level police problems uh, that we've had with respect to to the murder of black men in this country. <laughs> let, let me throw in there, if I might, that 
if you look at the cities around the country that uh, the president has mentioned, he's mentioned besides uh, Chicago, uh, Detroit, Philadelphia, Baltimore, uh, and uh, as well as Albuquerque, there is no pattern of federal buildings being under siege. Uh, in many of these cities, it's been weeks since there have been seriously disorderly uh, protests. Now, if you want to take a comforting view, you can say, well, that's another indication that they're not trying to duplicate the Portland experience. Um, but it's interesting because the uh, in Portland, DHS which was running the operation, was very careful to try to base its operations on uh, one of the most accepted corners of federal law enforcement jurisdiction, namely the marshal's uh, ability to protect courthouses. And, and hardly anyone disagrees in principle that there you can use federal law enforcers. Of course, that's not going to be present in these other cities. And so you look at, um, you know, if they try these things with the edging into street policing, would they have a legal excuse? Do they feel they need a legal excuse? Uh, one of the things I find significant institutionally, I don't know how it will play out, but Portland was led by DHS. Now, DHS, of course, is not um, the FBI. It is not the uh, parts of the government that, for better or worse, uh, have been uh, doing um, uh, anti-crime in cities for decades. On the other hand, the uh, rollout to Chicago, Albuquerque, and elsewhere uh, appears to be led by many of the more traditional agencies like the FBI and, and the DEA. Now, I'm not going to speculate as to which of them would more like to violate our rights if they could. I will say, however, that uh, as a level of professionalism, some of the extraordinary things going on on the streets of Portland, including more than one taking into custody without probable cause, suggest that even though we are told in news stories that this is the elite part of uh, Border Patrol or the elite part of the Customs Service, it may be that the elite is not all that elite. I wouldn't expect some of these mistakes from the FBI. Uh, and of course, in the background is this political fact, uh, which we may as well face, that President Trump doesn't get along at all with the FBI. Uh, whereas the Border Patrol is practically his favorite agency and vice versa. So um, the, it's worth watching. The, um, we don't want the development of a federal um, domestic police force. Uh, we took up that question after 9-11 and Congress rejected it. And we especially, with a cherry on top, don't want with the personal loyalty to the president among the different evils of having one. So uh, we'll be watching that as it plays out. Uh, I already think just from the very first day that the uh, statement that came out of the FBI on it sounded much more like uh, you would have heard from law enforcers in, for several decades than the statements that have come out of DHS, which sometimes leave me scratching my head saying, you know, don't they realize why they're being criticized? Don't they realize what the courts will say? You know, some of these very, very basic questions about pronouncements from law enforcement agencies. The FBI, whatever its faults, gets that and tends not to say things that are absolutely loopy from the standpoint of court or public reception. Uh, I want to, Walter, I'm going to ask you and then Pat, uh, if you wouldn't mind, also answer to the extent that governors, I, I saw the mayor of Chicago um, talking about how she wanted to do, she would do everything she could to prevent uh, federal agents from, I, I think in her view, usurping uh, local authorities. Um, but to the extent, and mayors don't have a whole lot of sway, um, you know, cities exist at the pleasure of states. Uh, so to the extent that you're a governor of a state and you do not want 
a federal presence. Uh, Walter, what should governors do? At a constitutional level, there's not that much they can do because uh, the law is clear and the Supreme Court has made it clear that the uh, say-so of the governors is not required. At a practical level, of course, there is a lot they can do because denying cooperation uh, changes the nature of the operation significantly compared with providing cooperation. So um, people who want to go to court and say, you know, the governor or uh, state attorney general versus the feds, uh, you know, to stay out, those cases are by and large losers. On the other hand, they're not without cards to play. It's just that they're practical cards. What are they? Well, as I say, if they do not cooperate with the feds, then they are not. Um, and, and Patrick, of course, uh, brought up this point of the exchange of information about possible threats. Uh, if you don't coordinate, then you are making someone else less effective. Now, if they confine themselves to the courthouse and the territory immediately adjoining the courthouse, it may not make as much difference. Uh, as soon as they do things such as uh, Ken Cuccinelli was talking about doing as part of the, the Portland thing, which is to go out and arrest people wherever they may be. He suggested that feds may show up in the suburbs of Portland or other states and arrest people that they have seen doing bad things at the courthouse. Uh, then it becomes, uh, again, you can do that without state cooperation, but sometimes it would help a lot if you had it. Pat? So as a, as a practical matter, you know, some of the things that I've discussed previously, uh, Let's just take uh, the state of Oregon. Uh, under Oregon law, if the governor were to declare a state of emergency and declare those federal forces to be a direct threat to public health and safety, uh, she could order local law enforcement and possibly even the National Guard to close off access to the roads leading to those federal facilities. Uh, she could order Oregon utilities to shut off water uh, and uh, power uh, to those to those same facilities. So those would be extreme measures. There's no question about it. That would be highly confrontational. Uh, there aren't many governors in this country that I could think of off the top of my head that would actually have the guts to do that. Uh, but those would certainly be some steps that I would imagine almost any governor uh, in any state of the union could potentially take in order to do this. And then, of course, there's the whole issue of, of the federal congressional delegation, right? Um, I'm kind of disappointed that the Oregon delegation so far hasn't demanded that Nancy Pelosi take the Department of Homeland Security Appropriations uh, bill out of the omnibus that is going to be on the House floor this week and engage in some good old-fashioned legislative hostage-taking. Um, it's kind of tough for, for DHS to operate terribly well if they run out of money come September 30th. And, and, I, and I think that you know, that's another real, it's a powerful cudgel, a powerful tool that, that could be and should be, in my judgment, used in this particular circumstance. Congress really should investigate uh, what DHS in particular has been up to. And uh, that money lever is very important. Uh, I find it mildly ironic that uh, some members of Congress who are expressing outrage and sometimes wondering why libertarians aren't there, as if we haven't been there uh, long before them, but they voted uh, meekly for DHS appropriations. They did not raise many of these questions. Um, I had to um, practically cry when I saw former Senator Barbara Boxer write 
a piece in the Washington Post saying, I never thought uh, when I approved the, the expansion of these uh, extremely powerful federal agencies, I never thought they would fall into the hands of my worst political enemy. Why didn't someone warn me? <laughs> Please give libertarians a megaphone because we have been trying to warn you and we just weren't getting through. Yeah. And in 2011, I believe uh, David Ritgers, uh, formerly of Cato, wrote a paper that uh, was entitled Abolish the Department of Homeland Security. So as you said, this is uh, a longstanding problem uh, that uh, libertarians saw coming. So go ahead. So Congress can find out more efficiently than almost anyone and more rapidly if they hold the right sorts of hearings, answers to some of the questions about what DHS was doing in Portland, why they behaved the way they did in the street police situations. We don't have all the answers on that. I wrote a piece uh, a week ago uh, mentioning some of the unanswered questions. And since then, we've gotten some of the answers. But the fact is they need to account for episodes in which they've taken people into custody without probable cause and the rest. And uh, there is nothing like a congressional hearing. Uh, If they uh, promise to do better next time, uh, let's hear that. If they are defiant, let's hear that too. Uh, But in the meantime, they are uh, giving an interview here and and a uh, memo there. And it's not like getting a real explanation. Patrick Eddington is a research fellow at the Cato Institute, where Walter Olson is a senior fellow. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.